Well, welcome again to Lakeshore. We're glad you're with us. We want to welcome our Smyrna campus. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms down there. Any of you joining us online, we're glad you're connected with us that way. And happy Mother's Day to all you moms that are connecting with us there. We uh, are starting a new series today, as Greg said earlier, in the book of James. And in the book of James, uh, there's so much practical teaching all through the book. And, and I want to give you a little bit of an introductory background to the book of James uh, and today we're going to deal with one of those practical things that he talks about. I've entitled the message, Calm Under Pressure. This book starts in verse 1 with these words from James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So James could have identified himself in a lot of different ways. He could have said a leader in the church in Jerusalem because he was. He, he was a main leader there. But you know what he could have said? The Lord's brother. This is the technically half-brother of Jesus Christ who had come to faith in Jesus and decided that Jesus really was the Messiah. He had begun to follow him and be a leader in the church uh, that was proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's an amazing transformation for a young man who grew up with Jesus and then finally understood that he really was the Messiah, the Savior. But instead, he identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word used for servant there means the lowest servant in the household. It means the one who does the dirty work that nobody else wants to do. Can you imagine saying to your brother, I'm your humble low servant, right? But that's what James is saying to Jesus. I'm here simply as a servant for you. So it tells you a little bit about his heart, where he is in his relationship with God and with Jesus, that he sees himself purely as a servant of Jesus Christ and of God. But he says he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The book of James was one of the latter books written that we have in the New Testament. In other words, some time has gone by now. The church has been around for a little while now when he writes this letter. And persecution has already started and gotten worse by the time James writes this letter. Christians, when they convert, especially those who converted from Judaism to Christianity, many of them lost their jobs. They were cut off from their families. And now... Uh, beyond that, there is uh, the threat of arrest and also uh, beatings. Uh, there were some Christians, we have records, uh, historical records of them being beheaded, uh, being executed for their faith already by the time James writes this letter. So he says the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. When the persecution broke out, many of these Christians had no jobs, no families that would welcome them, no help at home. And so they had to go other places to try to find work and, and take care of their families and get away from some of the persecution that was going on. So they're just scattered now all over the place. Now, part of the good thing that came with that is they took Christianity with them everywhere they went. They took their faith with them. So the church and the message of the gospel is being spread, even through the persecution, God is using it to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. And so that's the audience that he's writing to. These Christians that haven't been Christians very long, and yet they're already being persecuted. And, and they might be asking themselves, as any of us would, God, why are you letting this happen to me? 
I mean, we've given our lives to you now. We've sacrificed a lot to follow Jesus. Why are we suffering these bad things in our lives now? Why all this pressure and persecution and trials and tribulations that we're going through? And I'm convinced that many in the church in America especially struggle with this because so many pastors in our churches are preaching a false gospel that if you come follow Jesus, everything will be great in your life. Everything's going to be good now because you gave your life to Jesus. You're not going to have bad things happening anymore because you're loving Jesus and following Jesus. And that's simply not the teachings of the New Testament. And it's not the history of the church in the world throughout the years. That's not the way it works. But it does encourage us to know that we're not the only ones that go through hard times and that God has provided for everybody that came before us and the challenges they face and the persecutions they face. And he will be faithful to us too and provide for us and take care of us no matter what we face. The reason I think this ties in so well with Mother's Day is because, I've talked about this before, but parenting to me is the hardest job in the world. <laughs> I didn't even have to ask for that amen that I just came right on out there. It really is. I mean, the challenge of parenting. Now, it's always been hard. But, but I'm convinced in our lifetime in America, it's harder today than it's ever been in my lifetime to parent a child in the culture and the environment that they're growing up in in this country today. The challenge to faith, the challenge to, to uh, doctrine, the challenges to, to the lifestyle God calls us to, I think are greater today in our culture and our society than it's ever been. And I'm convinced that's why it is so much more important, moms, for you to be in a church home, in a church family, actively connected and involved, and that you bring your children up with that help and that support that the church can give you in raising your children. Now, the church can't do it all for you. You've got to practice this at home and teach it at home. But, but when you add to that the teaching of the church and the involvement in the programming and, and, and ministries of the church, when you combine those things together, it helps you with your role as a mother. And I know it's hard. It's, it's extra pressure to get your kids here and make sure they're involved in things. But I want to encourage you to stick with that. It's one of the most important things you could possibly do. Raising children with the pressures of the culture and the world that we have here. And I also want to encourage anybody here that's ever thought about working as a volunteer in our children's ministries and youth ministries programs here at Lakeshore. Because we need more and more adults committed to helping moms and dads raise their children up to know and to follow Jesus. We need more of you giving your time and your resources and your efforts to that because the challenges are greater than they've ever been before in our lifetime, I think. So, today I want to talk about five lessons we can learn from this first section in the book of James, James uh, 1, verses 1 through 12. Five lessons we can learn about managing the stress. Now, I, I, I've had a doctor tell me once, you need to eliminate stress from your life. <laughs> I said, did you read the description of what I do for a living? I am a pastor of a church. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I can never eliminate the stress in my life. That's not going to happen. 
And it won't happen for you either. It's not just pastors. It's everybody in the world today. So you're not going to eliminate stress. Quit even trying to think that way. Instead, with God's help, learn to manage the stress the way God wants you to manage the stress. Now, yeah, you could get rid of some stress simply by not, uh, you know, participating and uh, not attending every argument you get invited to. You don't have to choose to be part of it. You know, when somebody puts that post on Facebook and you just get all upset about it, just refrain from posting anything, okay? Walk away. Back away from the Facebook. And let the stress calm down. Let, let it ease up. And, and you may comment later, but don't do it right then. Let, let yourself get calmed down before you do that. You see, you're just adding to the stress when you let yourself get caught up in all that stuff. You don't need to do that. And by the way, it does very little good in convincing anybody of your position just to argue on Facebook. I haven't seen that be very effective ever. So just quit, all right? You'd be surprised how much stress you'll get out of your life just by doing that. Well, you can't eliminate it completely, so let's learn to manage it. The first thing we learn from James is in verse 2. Listen to what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So the first thing he tells us is, Moms, dads, it doesn't matter if you are a mom or dad or not. If you just are alive in this world, you need to anticipate trouble. Anticipate trouble. Uh, He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says, whenever. He doesn't say, if in case you might. He says, if someday you might stumble across some problems and some stressful situations. He says, no, when you do... Because you are. He knew that for everybody that would be hearing this letter, that would be reading this letter. He knew every one of us would be facing some problems, some trouble. So he said, when that happens, consider it pure joy. Now, he's not saying consider the bad thing that's stressing you out a thing to be joyful about. He's going to go on to tell us why we can find joy even in those stressful things. Okay? We're going to talk about that as we go through these five things. He's going to be telling, teaching us how we can see a reason to have joy when we have trouble. But he says, understand that you are going to have trouble. So here's the thing. I, I still am amazed at how many Christians act like they caught off guard that something bad happened. Really? I can't believe, especially to somebody that we just think is a great godly person. I can't believe that happened to them. They live in the same world we live in, don't they? Right? They, they, they live in the same fallen, sinful environment that we live in. Then, of course, they're going to have trouble. You, you don't live long on the earth without some trouble, some struggles, some problems. So the best thing to do is to anticipate it. Because if you anticipate that that's the way life is going to be, you can be better equipped and prepared to handle it the right way. But if you just go along acting like that's never going to happen to me, then guess what? When it does, it's going to catch you totally off guard. You're not going to know what to do, how to respond, how to handle it. Uh, I was reminded, uh, this is back in the day when dads didn't go into the delivery with their wives. There were three dads out in the waiting room waiting on their wives who were back there having babies. And a nurse comes out and says to one of the dads, well... Your wife just gave birth to twins. He says, well, isn't that a coincidence? I work for the Minnesota Twins. 
And the same time, another nurse comes out and says to another dad out there, it's, it's great, your wife just gave birth to triplets. He said, wow, what a coincidence. I work for the 3M company. Another guy got up and started to go out and run out of the room, and the nurse stopped him and said, wait just a minute, your wife is about to deliver too. He said, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. I drive a truck for 7-Up. He was anticipating trouble, right? You could just see it coming in that scenario. Well, in this world that we live in, you can anticipate some trouble. That's why, listen to me, moms, all parents that are here today. I'm more convinced than ever, and I didn't do a great job with this all the time, and, and, and I want us all to learn. Parents, we need to start allowing our children to have to deal with some trouble in their lives as they're growing up. Our natural inclination is to, is to just step in there and keep them from feeling any disappointments or any hurts or any pains or any struggles. I know as a dad and as a mom, you want to do that for your children, but it's one of the worst things you can do to never, ever let them have disappointment or trouble or struggle. I'm still amazed at how many sports activities now where they won't let them keep score because it might hurt little Johnny's feelings if they lose. Right? Well, guess what real life is going to be like for little Johnny? He's not always going to win. There are going to be disappointments. There are going to be times he, he doesn't succeed. There are going to be times when he fails miserably along the way. And if we haven't allowed them to deal with that and learn from it as they grow up, then when it happens to them as young adults, it's going to crush them. We need to allow our children to go through some of those struggles and disappointments. You still love them. You're still there for them. But you're not going to bail them out every single time and not allow them to suffer any consequences along the way. So parents, hear me out, please. I know you think you're doing the loving thing, but the more loving thing is to equip them for life the way life really works. And the way life really works is in this world you're going to have what? You're going to have trouble. So let your children have to manage some of that. Now teach them and support them in it, but let them work through it and learn from it along the way. John 16, 33, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his time. He was going to be going to the cross, and they're going to see all that's going on there, all the problems, all the terrible things they're going to witness. He says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? What's that word? Peace. Don't you want to have peace? Don't you want your children to have peace, right? He said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So does he say... Uh, because you love me and follow me, I'm never going to let you have any trouble. Is that what he says? No. He said, in this world, you are going to have what? But in the middle of the trouble, you can take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. That's why. In him, you can overcome the trouble of the world, too. But you will have to go through the trouble to overcome it. You don't overcome something that you never go through. You have to go through it to overcome it. And so he's saying, with my help, you can do it. So you can write this down. I don't think I put it in your notes, but write this down. Trouble is not an elective. It's a required course. Trouble is not an elective. It's a required course. It's going to happen. 
Jesus said in another passage, Matthew 6, 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough, what? Trouble of its own. Don't jump into tomorrow's troubles yet because today's going to have plenty for you. You know, deal with the ones today first. But you're going to have them. But you can take heart when you have them because with Christ you can overcome them. I love Peter's words in 1 Peter 4 because he's dealing with this idea that Christians sometimes seem to be caught off guard when they have trouble like it's something strange happening to them. Here's what he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. How can you consider it pure joy when you go through suffering? Because you are just being more closely united with Christ and his sufferings when you go through yours. And when you overcome them with the help of God through the presence of Christ then it will be a way for you to give greater glory to him. That's why you can consider it joy even when you go through struggles. It's because of what God can do with that. If you, if you hold on to your faith and continue to be faith, walk faithfully through the trouble with Christ, then God's going to use it for some good things. Which leads to the second thing, and that is, if you allow God to do that, then what happens with the trouble is you allow him to develop maturity in your life through the troubles. You develop maturity that way. Verse 3 and 4, here's what he says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, what's that word? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. When you go through struggles, when you go through trouble, and you, let, you hold on to your faith, you let God work through that, then what it does is it grows you up more. It matures you more. Remember, you're participating in sufferings the way Christ participated and and went through suffering. So if you handle it the right way, here's what happens. The goal of a disciple is to grow up to be like his teacher. right? That's the goal of a disciple. We're all saying if we choose to follow Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to grow up to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus went through what? Suffering. Trouble. So if we're going to grow up to be like Jesus then if we handle it the right way, suffering's going to come into our lives, yes, but we go through it with Christ and we grow up to be more like Jesus when we handle suffering the way we're supposed to handle suffering. We become more like Him. So we are able to let His work on us through the suffering bring us to uh, the word mature, he also says mature and complete. Mature means brought fully to its completed state the way it was intended to be. God wants us to grow up to be the way he designed us to be. And one of the ways he gets us there is he takes us through suffering to get us there, to where he wants us to be. And that's not easy. He's not saying this is easy, but he's saying it's the process that gets you to where God wants you to be in your life. Now, we all know this. I, I haven't gone through some of the hard things some of you have gone through, but, but me and my family, we've gone through hard things too. And you know what has matured me more than anything else? It hasn't been the good things. It's been the hard things. Now, I can say that on this side of the hard things. I didn't want to say that when I was going through the hard things. I didn't, I didn't even always see that when I was going through the hard things. 
And there'll be more hard things. But the more of them you go through and let God work on you, then the next one that comes along, you're better prepared for. And the next one that comes along, you're even better prepared for. You handle them better as you mature. And you give God greater glory as you grow up and handle these things the right way. Maturity is a beautiful thing. It's God's goal for all of us to grow up to be like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 7 Paul is talking about how at one point he thought God surely ought to do something for him. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. Right? We don't know what it was exactly. We're not sure. Uh, some people think he was married. I don't know what it was. Uh, I said some people. I didn't say Pastor Andy thought that. I don't think that. But whatever the thorn in the flesh was... Paul, in his immaturity at one point, thought the best thing to happen to me would be for God to take this away from me so I don't have to deal with it anymore. Don't you feel that way when you're having trouble, right? God, what you need to do, as if we're wiser than God, God, what you need to do, let me tell you, let me clear this up for you in case you missed it, what you need to do for me is take this away from me so I don't have to deal with this anymore. Just make everything better for me, right? That's what Paul was thinking. So here's what it says. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, the way this is written, it seems like three different periods, not just three times all at once, but at three different stages in his life, Paul asked God to take away this thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with. But he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what I have found to be the greatest witness or testimony to non-Christians of a Christian's life? It's when they see you going through really hard things and staying strong and committed and faithful. You know why? Because that shows them there's a real genuineness to your faith. You see, if every time it gets bad or hard, you walk away from God, then it destroys any witness or testimony you could have had to non-Christians about the power and the provision of God for you in your life. But when you hold on and you stay faithful and you continue to praise God and honor God through those hard things... Others around you will look at that and be so impressed with the depth of maturity of your faith through those things. Now, nobody's perfect at this, but, but that's why we need to pray and ask God to help us and know that He's with us all the time and He won't ever forsake us. Maybe we need to go back and read His promises over and over again while we're going through it. And we need people around us who are godly people who, who can help encourage us. And that's why our church family is so important when you go through those things. You know what I find? A lot of people, as soon as they start going through hard times, one of the first things they do is quit going to church. They stop participating in the life of the church family. And I know sometimes the church has contributed to that because we get this idea that the people in, at church have their act together and everything's good for them. It looks that way on Sunday mornings, doesn't it, at the services? Now, I'm standing up here looking at all of you, and you clean up pretty good. You do. And if I didn't know some of you really well, I could naturally assume, man, they just got such a good life, everything's great. 
but I know you better than that. <laughs> I know some of you way better than that. And the thing about a church family is, is even with the junk and the struggle and the problems, we both love God and we love each other and we need to encourage and support each other knowing that all of us are going through some of the same struggles, all of us. And you should never stay away because you're having problems. That's like, I'm not going to go to the emergency room until the bleeding stops. They don't mind cleaning up the blood. They're trained to do that. That's part of what they do, right? Come on anyway. Bring the struggle. Bring the problems. Bring the hard things with you. And together, let's go before God and ask God to help us with those things. And he will. He promises that he will. So he says, he says, you know, when you, uh, in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that you have proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in, here's the result, praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. As Christ is revealed through you and your faithfulness and your witness for Him through the struggles, then He gets praise and glory and honor through that. So God's going to use this for some good things if you hold on to your faith as you go through the struggle. The third step is this. When you're going through trouble, even before it happens, when you're anticipating it, ask for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, I want to do a survey. How many of you in here lack wisdom? Just raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, the person next to you should punch you. <laughs> because the fact that you didn't raise your hand shows a lack of wisdom. We all need to be humble enough to confess that we lack wisdom, all of us, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, here's what you should do. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. I love how he talks about God and us coming to him for wisdom. Listen to what he says again. Ask God who gives how? Generously. So you want wisdom? God's right there, ready to give it to you. I saw a meme on Facebook recently that had a guy praying, God, please, please reveal your plan for my life to me. Please talk to me and let me know that you're there. And it shows a picture of a hand reaching down from heaven with a Bible in it. He's already given you his message. It's written in Scripture. If you want wisdom, it's already there for you. So here's the thing, and that doesn't mean you don't pray and ask for it. You do because we need to learn it. We need to understand it. We need God to, to give us clarity on what he's saying there. We all need that. And that's where you combine the study of God's word with your praying and asking God for wisdom. And he will generously give you all the wisdom you need. We make a lot of mistakes because we move forward before asking for wisdom. We think we already know. We think we already think what's best and how it ought to work and what we ought to do. And we just charge ahead and we don't stop and seek wisdom from God. Every time I've done it that way, I have had a few problems. 
that came from charging ahead without seeking the wisdom of God. And so he says, make sure you ask God for wisdom. And I love this. He gives generously to all without doing what? Finding fault. I've got a few people I, at one time, started going to to ask for advice with some problems I was having. And I stopped going to them. You know why? When I went to them to ask for some guidance and wisdom, what I heard was a lecture on why I messed up so bad and how I shouldn't have ever done that. It's, it's all, you know, bad. You, you just really aren't doing what you ought to do. Now, what I was asking for was what? Wisdom. To deal with where I was at that point. Here's the thing about God giving you wisdom. He says, I will give generously, give wisdom to you without finding fault. Isn't that amazing? Do you think if God looked at any of us, he could find some fault? Absolutely. But when we ask him for wisdom, he's not going to start with a lecture about all the faulty things in our lives. He's simply going to start from where we are, teaching us, here's what you need to do moving forward. See, that's what we try to do as a church with our ministries and our, our classes and our, our preaching on Sundays, is we try to understand we all have these struggles coming in. We all know that. So let's start where we are and learn and grow from there. God's grace, the blood of Jesus, takes care of the past. We don't have to dwell on that and deal with that the rest of our lives. God takes that from us to the cross. So let's start where we are, cleansed by Jesus, and move forward with faith and wisdom that he gives us in the teaching of his word. So we need to ask for wisdom, and he generously gives it to us. But he says, when you ask for wisdom, you don't need to doubt. Don't doubt God, because that's not going to be good in, in, in receiving the wisdom he wants you to have. Uh, you're unstable if you're, you know how, you may not know this, but sometimes as a preacher, I will teach things and people will sit in here and shake their heads and still go out and do something totally different. Can you imagine that? Do you, do you know that ever happens? It does. I, and they'll come to me for advice and counsel and I'll give it to them and they'll sit in my office and say, yeah, I understand, that makes sense. And then they'll still go do something completely the opposite. You know what? God looks at us and says, I want you to come ask me for wisdom, but when I give it to you, I expect you to do what? I expect you to listen to it, to trust what I'm telling you, to be true. You see, the wisdom is only valuable if you listen and follow when it's shared. You can know all the information and not do it, and it doesn't benefit you at all. The wisdom is only valuable when you apply it to your life. So he says... Don't be like the one who doubts. I love uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, Solomon uh, is being made king, and he's still a very young man when he's uh, told he's going to be king. And he, he uh, has this encounter with God where God allows him to ask for help. In 1 Kings 3, beginning with verse 7, it says this. He told Solomon, you can ask me for what you need. He says, Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and you do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Of all the things Solomon could have asked for, he could have asked for a lot of money, right? He could have asked for, you know, eloquent speech. There's a lot of things he could have asked for. What did he ask for? Wisdom and discernment, right? You see, that's how valuable wisdom is. 
Already at that young age, Solomon understood that wisdom is more valuable than all the gold, all the riches, all the, all the powerful positions and titles. Wisdom is so much more valuable than all of those things. Now, God gave him those other things too, but it was because he sought wisdom first. So, ask for wisdom. The fourth thing, keep proper perspective, whatever you go through in life. He connects this directly to some things that I think are really important that we tend to judge how well our life is doing by. And every generation has in all different cultures. The way we usually judge how well our life is going is finances. Let's be honest. When things are going good for you financially, how do you feel about your life? Good. When things aren't going well financially, how do you feel about your life? Bad. Not so good. We're measuring our lives by that. Now, we know Jesus taught that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, but we still in this world tend to lean toward judging our lives by how we're doing financially. And so we judge our success by our finances a lot of times. We judge whether or not God likes us or not by how well we're doing financially. We judge by, uh, you know, what, what kind of ability we have to influence the world by how we're doing financially. We, we connect it to that. So I love what he goes on to say here beginning in verse 9. He says this. Because there are Christians in all different circumstances now. Many of them lost their job. They're losing all their material possessions. Here's what he says. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. You hear where he started out there? Believers in humble circumstances. The word translated there, humble circumstances, means you don't have much when it comes to material things. But he says you ought to take pride in your what? High position. What high position is he talking about? They've lost everything. They've lost homes. They've lost jobs. They've lost family. What high position are we talking about here? Where they are in Christ before God. If you're going to have pride, have pride in Christ and who you are in Christ. That's the right kind of pride. We take pride in all kinds of things. Some that are totally contrary to God. And yet here he says, here's what you ought to take pride in. That you're a child of God. That he loves you so much that his son Jesus died for you on the cross. You ought to be proud of that. Who you are in Christ. And you can have that whether you've got no money or bunches of money. It doesn't matter. You can have that position in Christ. You are a child of the king. There is no higher position in this kingdom than that. And that's where you ought to have that that pride is in who you are in Christ. But then he says the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. He says, okay, you guys have a lot of money. You need to understand how, how treacherous that is. Because no matter how much money you have, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Just like the poor guy beside you is going to die. And no matter how much money you accumulate, it's not going to change that. You may die in a nicer house and be buried in a nicer casket. In a nicer grave plot. You'll be just as dead as the other guy. You're going to die. So don't get so caught up in that. 
He says, since you pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises, the scorching heat withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Even while you're out there making money, making it happen, you're going to do what? Die. So stay humble. Understand the real value of your life is not in that stuff. It's in your relationship with Christ. And let's go to the last one. The fifth thing is keep your eyes on the prize, the real prize. One of the most toys still dies. That's not the prize. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive, here's the prize, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here's the choice we've got to make as we go through life from this day moving forward. Moms, dads, everybody here. Moving forward, you've got to understand that you're going to have trouble in this world. Rich people, no matter how rich you get, you're still going to have some trouble. Poor people, no matter how poor you are, you're still going to have some trouble. The key is to have that relationship with Christ where it needs to be. Because that's what really gives you value is how God sees you and what God has been willing to do for you by sending his son here for you. In John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said this, The thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sometimes that's translated, have life abundant. God's plan is for you to have an abundant life. Don't ever think that means money because money will not give you the abundant life that is talked about here. Nothing wrong with it. It's not a terrible thing, but it's not what life is all about. The abundant life is not about how much money you have. It's about the prize that God has for you because of your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. That today we've been reminded of the fact that as we go through this world, there will be struggle, there will be heartache, there will be challenges, but we can take heart in the middle of all of that. Because not only are we participating with Christ in His suffering, we are able then to anticipate the outcome of these things. If we'll hold on to our faith, if we walk with You, You promise to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. You promise to provide for us all that we need. So, Father, we pray for wisdom and discernment to handle these things the way we need to so that You can use us through the trials and You will receive glory and honor by our witness for You through these things. But, Father, ultimately, we look forward to the prize, the crown of life, which is ours not because of anything we've done, but because of all that Christ has done for us. If there's someone here today that needs to come to know Christ, give their lives to Him, seek Him and the wisdom that He gives, and be able to claim the promise that even through trials, they can have the ability to take heart because with Christ they can overcome everything. Father, I pray that they would take that step today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.